This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. It's always special, mostly because the man on the other side of the microphone, I'm Scott Phillips. He is, well, he's the founder and managing director of strawman.com. He also is a freediver of note. He's an athlete of great distinction. He is a man who, frankly, has done more exercise this morning than most people will do in a lifetime. He is Andrew Page. How are you, buddy? G'day, mate. I've got to say, these, these weekly chats do wonders for my ego. It really builds me up. I love it. As they Feeling should, good about myself. Should. Yes, I, mate, I've, I do what I can. It's in the contract, as our listeners well know. So yep, uh, sure I, like I do it voluntarily, but frankly, I don't have a choice. Uh, nope. That's how this thing That's how this thing works. The other thing I have exactly. to do is unfortunately ask you what strawman.com is. As much as I don't like doing that, as much as I get no joy or mirth <laughs> at all, I'm, right. I'm contractually obliged. So I, I, I hope... I hope I'm not, you know, I hope, I hope I'm sounding interested enough is all I'm saying. Yeah, I'll have to speak to your lawyer. Um, no, it's an online <laughs> private investment club is what it is. There you go. Fascinating. You go. Mm-hmm. Mate, we have got an absolutely chock full mailbag. How about we see how many questions we can get through? What do you reckon? Oh, power round. I like it. Well, I see I've set you up because the first question is about Bitcoin. Oh, okay. Well, we've only got time for one question this week. I'm sorry. Actually, one question this week and next week. Special two-part mailbag episode. Yeah, pretty no, much. Here we- <laughs> and this one comes from a. Well, it comes from Andrew. I'm gonna. I, I is, is it safe to assume you didn't actually ask this question so that you could talk about Bitcoin? Mate, g- give me some credit. If I was, if I was so nefarious and I and I still use my own name, like uh, there's something wrong there. You, you called you as a straw man, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Something would have throw you off, throw you off the scent a bit, you know. Oh, here we go. Andrew says, "Hey guys, a question for your very special Sunday podcast episode." And then he says, "Scott, go grab a coffee or something. This one's for Andrew." <laughs> I've come around to Bitcoin, says Andrew. I can hey. see the use case, and I think I understand the potential benefits of a decentralized store of value that can't be altered by, for example, a brewing global conflict. And I want to buy some. My question mm-hmm. is now twofold. One, how do you price Bitcoin if there's no earnings or previous value metrics to refer to? How mm-hmm. do I ensure I'm not overpaying, especially at $54,000 per coin? Mm-hmm. And then he says, two, when you do invest, how do you actually buy it? CMC Markets mm-hmm. now has the beta function to buy and sell, quotes, crypto. Is that a safe and legitimate way to store your coins or is a direct broker like Trust Wallet a better choice? I know the phrase, not your wallet, not your coins. Oh, dear. So I want to make sure I'm protected. I'm only glad, Andrew, that Andrew threw this in. You didn't have to say it because I know you were just waiting to say it. Uh, so uh, I, I, as I was reading the question, I was like, oh, I see I throw the not your wallet. I would have coins. totally Andrew's said that. Andrew's beaten yeah. us both to the punch. All right, yeah. let's go. How do you price Bitcoin? How do you work out whether the current price is right? And maybe the, the, the same thing would apply then to selling. How would you, let's, let's say you convince him or he convinced himself the current price is right. How do you yeah. work out at what price to then sell his Bitcoin yeah. at some future point? Oh, man, what a huge question. Um, where to start? I, I would actually step back a bit from the brink here. If it's something you're going, and I don't think Andrew's coming from this direction, but if it's something you're going to trade in, it's maybe a different way that you would approach it. If it's mm. something that you're more seeing is like, it's just a, a longer term store of value. Um, I think you, you probably just... I mean, there's a, there's a different, a number of different ways to approach it. One, I think, is just to sort of say, 
Well, look, as a network that provides this censorship resistant, you know, uh, trustless global ledger of truth that we can all use to sort of communicate economically on, I think I think that uh, has some value. And if you think more people will increasingly value that in terms of the utility that that provides, um, you think, well, geez, Apple is a trillion dollar company. Um, that's is is a global censorship resistant, trustless, et cetera, et cetera, network worth more than one Silicon Valley company? I'd probably say, yeah. Hmm. I think a, a really useful analogy is probably with gold itself. D- uh, Bitcoin is often called digital gold. Um, it's not a not a bad um, analogy, to be honest. Hmm. I agree. Actually. But that, yeah, I mean, it's just gold that you can teleport around, which is really cool, and you can store it in your head, <laughs> uh, and you can break it up, and you can audit it really easily, and et cetera, et cetera. But gold globally is a twelve trillion US dollar market cap, hmm. and that's not insignificant. So you take that and you divide that by um, twenty one million, you get you know half a million dollars a coin. <laughs> and that's and then you think, well, wait a second, you know, there's the global asset value, all the real estate, all the bonds, all the stocks, everything out there is nine hundred trillion dollars. So there's a question of just like, well, how how much does Bitcoin feel in in, mm-hmm. in a world of of what you might call hyper Bitcoinization? And that's like to the moon kind of stuff. It kind mm-hmm. of it's not that it's implausible, but it's sort of like whatever the number is, it's insanely higher than it is today. And don't worry about it. The, the strategy under that uh, set of assumptions, just buy whenever you have any spare money, put everything and every last cent you can in, into that thing because it becomes very academic at, at that kind of point. Right, right. But that to, that to my mind, I know when we chatted on earlier in the year is, is part of the, the big, uh, a big part of the buy thesis for me yeah. is that I, I think you need to be honest enough to know that you can't really value it precisely yeah. and that it might actually be worth nothing. You know, it could be $0 a coin if the network breaks for whatever unforeseen reason. Mm-hmm. But but because the upside is so vast, it that's what actually presents the the interest for me. And as I say, there's a hundred different ways to skin that cat and you go online, you'll find all kinds of crazy predictions. But to my mind, it's like, well, where we are right now, it's well, something like 600 billion US dollars it really does put it in par as sort of like not even the, the top tier tech company. And this is something that is used globally. You know, what what value does that represent? Will it be around in the future? And more importantly, will more people adopt it? And not, it doesn't have to be a I'm all in kind of thing, but just people that yeah. start to sort of use it and, and it is more integrated into things. There's lots and lots of network effects and feedback loops with this phenomena. And I feel as though as long as all of those things are sort of moving in the right direction, it's you, you can get into debates about specifics of numbers and price targets and the rest of it. But I think this, the, the level-headed practical approach is it's just worth a lot more than it is now. And, and, I, and I would say this as well. If you really do truly treat it as a savings technology, which all money is really just a savings technology, it's a different yeah, right. type of money, um, uh, then let's say that in – in 10 years, you and I get back together and we're talking about Bitcoin. It's pretty much, you know, it's only gone up to 60 or 70,000 uh, Australian dollars per coin. It's not it's not really going to set the world on fire, but it's still kind of set. It's, it's probably what you could expect a lump of gold buried in the backyard to do. <laughs> and I would consider that a very big failure in terms of the promise of what it what it brings to the world. That's a whole other you know, discussion right there. But, but you know, a, a money that can't be uh, diluted or controlled or manipulated anyway, if you, if you feel as though that kind of has any kind of value, and whatever value that is, is only capped out at today. It's just the, the you know, the 0.5% of the entire global population that is any meaningful way, meaningful way adopted it. That's it. That's kind of the caps. Like, 
Well, even then it's kind of like, well, so the downside is it's kind of flat from here on out. And again, that comes back to the asymmetry sort of argument. And so the answer is, I think, uh, a lot more than today. And I think that I, I could be wrong, but if I am, well, you know, it, 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 there's only, you know, 100% you can lose, I suppose. <laughs> I like it. Thank you, mate. Very, very, yeah. very clearly and uh, nicely enunciated. Hey, um, let's go to the next one about how to buy Bitcoin. I, I famously, for those who've been listening for a while, uh, bought my Bitcoin on, I think it was Coinbase was the app. Um, and Coinbase allowed you to buy, but not sell. Uh, and so my, my, my Bitcoin was trapped. Now, a lot of people did tell me you could move it across wallets and stuff, and that's absolutely true. Uh, I did not do my due diligence because I put 100 bucks in just to follow along. So it wasn't that, I mean, not that I wanted to lose 100 bucks, but it was never going to be sheep station. So uh, I wasn't <laughs> overly concerned about it. Uh, but maybe I should have paid a bit more attention. If Andrew's going to get started, uh, what is the best way to buy and then potentially sell Bitcoin? Yeah, it's kind of the same thing that you do for a for a share. Uh, it's just, right. Except instead of going to a, an equity uh, broker, you go to a, a Bitcoin broker. And let me emphasize that a Bitcoin only broker is what you want. You don't <laughs> want a crypto casino. And this yeah. isn't me being ideological, or maybe it is a little bit, um, but it is. It's more about going way down the rabbit hole we don't have time for. I'll refer you back to our previous <laughs> long form discussions that we've sort of had on on all of this. Yep. But it's sort of like it's been invented, you know, um, unless you mm-hmm. want to vent in, in, in invest in like the internet version 2.0 or some stupid notion like that, you're wasting your time. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. trouble with those kinds of places too is they've off, all the, the disasters that have happened in, in crypto land have been through, you know, rehypothecation of funds and staking and all these exotic yielding kind of products. And it just, it's all just, it's turtles all the way down at the very bottom, there's nothing there, right? And it's its yeah. just, these are the institutions that if you are, if you have any of your funds there, well, you may not find that your funds are there for, for very long. <laughs> it's happened before. Yeah. The Bitcoin only exchanges just deal in, in the, the commodity that is Bitcoin, as I say, with yeah, deliberately right. commodity there's no issuer there's no counterparty that's one of the things that makes it unique and they don't have all of those other kinds of risks so i i personally use bitteroo i don't know them i don't have a financial interest in them but i'm happy to give them a shout out they they are really super easy to use um and then once you've bought an amount that is you know beyond a few hundred dollars something that you might consider significant i would then look into sort of getting a hardware wallet uh so-called or co- mm-hmm. cold wallet sometimes and, and transferring it onto that, which is, again, a whole other discussion, but there's lots of YouTube how-tos, et cetera, out there. But you want to – that's kind of the cool thing about it. It's it's a self-custodied asset. It's something that only you – if you control the keys, you control the coins. And that's a mm. kind of cool thing. It's a bit scary. It's a bit intimidating because there's no tech support to call if, if anything goes wrong. <laughs> but it's not that hard either at the same time. If you can remember your password, you can remember your seed phrase, right? And you're, and you're, and you're good to go. Um, so I would do it that way. Broker only, a Bitcoin only broker, buy it, take it off, put it in cold storage. Wait. I'm, I'm curious, mate. I don't follow this sector anywhere near as closely as you do. Obviously, as our listeners know, I would have, if you'd ask me to frame a market, and I get some of this ideological, by the way, and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, but, but maybe, maybe I, I do mean it in terms of, I wonder how much is driven by the theory rather than the practice. But mm. I, if you asked me to frame a market, I would have said the odds of being scammed by a reputable, maybe, maybe this is an oxymoron, reputable wallet provider mm. is lower than the, the odds of losing, forgetting 
passwords, uh, cold storage wallet, you know, the story of the bloke who, you know, threw his computer out, you know, mm. next billion dollars with a Bitcoin on it, whatever that is. Yeah. I, 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 if it was me, I got to say, I would have assumed, and again, I claim no expertise, right? So I'm, I'm happy to be told I'm wrong. I would yeah. have assumed that I would be safer, <laughs> probabilistically, not losing my, my cold wallet and actually taking a risk on a reputable storage um, exchange or, or, or something else. Yeah, again, reputable, not, yeah. not dodgy, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, yeah. Is, that not, is that not, probabilistically, do you think more money gets lost by exchanges or brokers going broke or, or being fraudulent? Now, talk, let's talk Bitcoin specifically again. You've made that mm. really good point, so let's not mm. get, get too muddied. Um, I, what do you think? Is, 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 there, is there genuinely, probabilistically, less chance of losing a cold wallet than there is of, of, a, of a, an exchange or, or a dealer going broke? There's, there's a pretty heated debate debate actually in the community. Okay. You know, what, what, what do you do? I, I would, I think it depends on you, whatever you're comfortable with. I mean, the re- yeah. reality is now is that everyone's got a counterparty risk with Commonwealth Bank or Westpac or whoever right, it happens right, exactly. to sort of be with yeah. and perfectly happy with that. They're regulated entities. You don't have to lose a lot of sleep at night. And mm-hmm. so anyone who wanted to make that choice, or even if you didn't want to buy Bitcoin directly, there's there's Bitcoin ETFs on the uh, ASX. Yeah. Just, just buy Bitcoin. I think EBTC is is the code that's super easy as well and that way you know you if anything happens you've got someone to call who'll, who'll make sure mm-hmm. you've got it you do introduce a counterparty into that and yep. there is a chance that that counterparty is a, is a bad actor or fails mm-hmm. in some way a very small mm-hmm. chance to your point but it but it but it could happen yes um i i th- so I don't, I don't, I'm not going to advocate one over the other, other okay. than to say it, what's right for you. But I, I, I do think that it's, it's, a, it's a new thing. The world's never had mm, this before, mm. right? So it, it feels like, oh my gosh, this is risky. Once you've done it and played around with it for a bit, and I wouldn't just transfer your life savings into a cold wallet and chuck it under the mattress. <laughs> like you have a, it, it's like when you first set up uh, the internet. I don't know, maybe we have a younger audience, but I, you, you and I would remember first setting up the, the first modem and trying to get online I do. and, and I do. configuring your hotmail and all of this. Not, it was, it was a challenge, you know, but. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't ins- insurmountable, and it actually once you know what you're doing, it's super easy. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not being flippant here. It really is. Yeah, if, yeah, you, yeah. if you can remember twelve words, and that is all that you do, you are fine. Right. Okay. Right. And if you can be trusted to write that down in more than one location, and you know maybe just don't leave it next to the. I don't know, the kitchen door or something <laughs> like, yeah, that's kind of it. But at the same time, yeah, yeah fine. Right, do, okay. do, you do what, do what you need mm. to do. Mm. I think when you statistically, when you look at, it, I think probably far more money has been lost than has ever been uh, lost through bad actors. Right. Uh, that's but I th- yeah. Yeah. But a lot of that goes back to the extremely early days, you know, okay. when it really wasn't worth that much and people didn't really know what they were playing around with. But yeah, take take any. Imagine someone's just handed you again a, a lump of gold. You know, would you would you use that as a paperweight for the coffee table, yeah. or would you, you know, probably be a bit bit more smart about it? Yeah, nice. Mate, thank you. Really good thoughts, by the way. And that's our Bitcoin episode for the next five years. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, but no good questions, Andrew. Thank you. Hey, uh, Matt. Matt. Uh, Matt has a Matt has a gentle swipe at you and I, Ram. Uh, okay. Hi, fools. He says. Hit me. I've been listening to both your weekly episodes for a couple of years. And I've always enjoyed the conversation. Minus the occasional or not so occasional socialist rant. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he means that in a complimentary way. I don't think he's suggesting that he's excited that he might think we're socialists. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that he thinks that us and Karl Marx are probably wrecking stuff. Is that yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, maybe. That's the way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you consider yourself a socialist, Andrew Page? Uh, I was actually just thinking to myself, it's not. Uh, I, uh, my friends and family often accuse me of being too capitalistic. So it's nice <laughs> to have yeah, exactly. the other side of things to, to balance it out. I mean, I, yeah. yeah. I think I, I, I think there's there's, there's <laughs> lots of meats to our to our <laughs> ideological stew, and I I enjoy partaking in all various parts of it. And there's good things and bad things on 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 uh, on, on all parts of the menu. <laughs> as I'm as I want to say, mate, I, I regularly get accused of being either an LNP shill or a Labour stooge on Twitter, depending on who's who's taking offence at something I've said. And I figure if I'm offending both sides, I'm probably doing something roughly right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's not even fencing, right? It's, it's issue specific. I don't. I, I don't think you need to sign up to a someone else's version of an ideology. It's like, you know, yeah. there's no need to be a capital C capitalist or a capitalist socialist or a anything else. Ist, um, just actually being actually, you know, the the only ist I am is a pragmatist. And yeah, yeah. If there is a if there's a better way of doing something, we should do it. And if that is, it takes something from one school of thought or another school of thought or multiple schools of thought or blends them together, then so be it. Anyway, yeah. Well, good. just well, just while you're on that, the other thing I would add mm. is that the very firm views that I have had uh, over the years have changed. <laughs> like if I if I was yeah, to go and speak yeah. to my 20 year old self, I'm sure I'd be pretty tempted to slap him across the face and like just say, <laughs> "Shut up, <laughs> you don't know anything." Um, but if you'd asked me at the time, oh man, I had all the conviction in the world. And, I, and I'm sure again, yeah. like as, as an older man, when I look back at, you know, I'm never going to, but if ever I was to listen to any of these episodes, mm-hmm. it'd be <laughs> so embarrassing. So keep that in mind, listeners. It's funny you say that, mate. I, um, really quick example. I used to be a trickle down guy. Um, oh, really? It, well, in the sense, it, yeah. made, it made ideological sense to me, mm. i.e. if you grew the pie, and I still think that again. This is where this is where the problem with absolutism this, is the problem, right? So, yeah, subtlety <laughs> required. As I say, never never ever generalize. Uh, yeah. but, so, so the problem with absolutism is is that idea of you know I think that growing the pie is as important as redistributing the pie appropriately. I think mm-hmm. I think you know there, it is it both is can be true. Do one or the other, right? Exactly. And, and yeah, two things. And doing can both be true. is is makes sense. So I was kind of like, well, it would make sense if we could grow the pie. Then you know everyone everyone should have the chance to get richer. That made, made kind of it made intuitive theoretical ideological sense to me. Mm. Until you actually look at the research and kind of go, huh? Yeah. It actually doesn't work. Yeah. And at that point, you, you either have to say right. You, then at that point, you either have to say head in the sand. I don't care. I just want it to be true because mm-hmm. it suits my worldview. Plenty of say, people do. Plenty of people right, still do in the year twenty twenty three. Right, and that's my point. And so, and because they, they just want it to be true, and you know, it's the old X Files. I want to believe. Um, so I, I, you know, speaking of changing your mind, I moved away from that. I went, well, actually, okay. I, I, I kind of wish it was still true because it'd be good. If it actually worked, that'd be great. If, if growing the pie meant more pie for everybody, then great. That, that would be, that would be perfect, right? Because that, that would give a really, yep. really nice way. You could harness the profit motive. You could, all these reward for effort, all those, all those nice cliches that if they were just true and worked and, and didn't have the drawbacks they do, then I, I, I would love that to be true. But then Mate, you look at why- actually, the data doesn't, doesn't support it. So I have no choice. I either have to put my head in the mm-hmm. sand and say, I don't care. I'm just going to pretend it's true, want it to be true so badly that it becomes an article of faith regardless of any disproving evidence. Or you say, yeah, okay, I need to change my mind on that. And that so I, I have changed my mind on that entirely. I still believe in growing the pie, but I also believe that trickle down isn't enough. And, and so those things can be true and are true just because the data supports it's not over this is the thing it's not an article of faith it's not an ideological question anymore we we have the data we know it doesn't work excellent mate well this is why i still hold um hope for you when it comes to bitcoin you'll, you'll get there <laughs> one day when it's one day when, how much 
Ten times the price. Uh, I don't know. Let's go for a million million dollars a coin. Million dollars a coin. Right. <laughs> I, will, I will. I will. At a million dollars a coin, Andrew, I will acknowledge publicly that I was wrong and you were right. <laughs> Excellent. I look forward to it. Heard it here first. <laughs> Matt says. Anyway, my question is in relation to how to best handle one share in my portfolio that is already about twenty five percent of my portfolio by value and growing quickly. <sighs> I do have a good spread of other shares in managed funds. However, the question is a vexed one. I know that Warren Buffett would not be a seller of a growing company if he believes that the value is much less than the current price. I also know, I think he means much more than the current price, by the way. I also know that most billionaires are so because of the huge growth of one company they usually have a large holding in. He mentions Bill Gates, the Murdochs, Tui Forest, etc. He says, I have shares in a small company, market cap for approximately $250 million. However, market announcements from them indicate a net profit in 2025 of $100 million and up to a billion dollars five years later. I've done a basic DCF valuation as described eloquently by Andrew recently, obviously your brother, Matt, Andrew, and come up with a current share price of between, or valuation he means, of between 50 and $70 a share. It's currently just $1.40. They have a huge moat with patented technology and government grants being given to them due to their supply of critical minerals and titanium from within the USA. Hmm. He then says, how do you square the circle of wealth generation and diversification. Full on Matt. Hmm. Do you want me to go? Uh, yes, because I, I, you will say something sensible and I will agree with you and therefore... Uh, well, I actually... I know that there's a right answer here, but the... <laughs> the I, I actually wrestle with this dilemma myself a lot, right? It, it is a hard one. And I've said many times when I look back over the investing career, like the regrets aren't the ones that didn't go well. The, the regrets are the ones <laughs> that I trimmed yeah. too much on that I worried was a little bit overvalued, you know, or it's like mm. really exceptional companies are rare. And, you know, especially the, the 10 bagger, the 50 bagger, the 100 bagger. Mm. Um, I would have had a 100 bagger on Prometicus. I got really close, but I, oh. but I, yeah. So, so, you know, they're the regrets, right? And, mm. and I'm also, why it's, as Matt says, it's so vexing because you've got to be careful not to take these, cherry pick the data <laughs> here because there yeah. is another universe and there's another good example here with Pointer. I bought that thing at four cents years ago. It rode it up to 90 cents and now it's, it's, come, it's full circle. It's back at five, six cents or whatever it is uh, <laughs> okay, at right. the moment. Now I'm, I mistimed the top, you know, I was, I sold all the way up, you know, and way too early, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I still hold some by the way. So, and, and, and you know, so I, I made two mistakes. I didn't sell at, at the top and I still mm. kept some as it was continuing to fall and I even bought some on the way down, would you believe? Overall, it's a, it's a positive experience, I'm happy to say. <laughs> but only because I, I did do the, the I, I wasn't, at the time, it was just like, it was a mixture of, oh, I like the company and the opportunity, but this price is a bit silly. And, oh gosh, it's 25% of my portfolio. Do I really want that much exposure? Mm. I might, so so that, so there you go. Two, two different examples just in my own mm-hmm. recent past. It's just like, well, played the exact same way. One was the absolute right thing to do. One was the absolute worst thing to do. Mm. So I, I, I think to me, it comes down to not be having too hard and fast rules, but basically saying, it's a it's a function of conviction. Um, Point Terror and Prometicus are two very different companies. You know, Prometicus is yeah. an extremely robust, strong company, huge balance sheet, cash flow positive, very dependable revenues, etc. The other one's a much, much, much earlier stage business that hasn't really gained the, the the proper sales traction yet. So you know, just chalk and cheese kind of kind of things. 
So when it comes to something that you you consider super high quality, I think it's not that you throw any of these considerations out the window, but you're much more relaxed about them. You know, and maybe maybe when you set your portfolio up, you thought you wanted a five or you know maybe even a ten percent allocation, but here we are, it's twenty five percent. Maybe sell a little bit down if you do think it's like excessively overvalued, but not my valuation is $52.10 and it's now trading at, you know, $53. Like that's, that is way overthinking it. But um, yeah, don't, don't overthink it, I guess is, is my point. And if, 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 and this is the biggest, biggest if ever, but if you do continue to have high conviction on the quality and the, in the durability of the business, I think you can mm. be, more relaxed with the valuation because how, how many times have has, has Berkshire looked expensive over the years? How many times has yeah. CSL or you know insert great you know multi generational mm-hmm. wealth compounder <laughs> it looked expensive at various points mm-hmm. in the past? Like not just in fact really expensive at many points. So I'm babbling at this point, mate. But I'm just I'm just trying to sort of say I totally get your pain. Don't overthink it if it's high quality. <laughs> I should have just think, said and finished with that. Yeah, no, I think I look. I think it's. I, I don't disagree with you, mate. I I would suggest to Matt to have a think about a business that, based on management's forecast, might be worth let's take his midpoint of sixty dollars a share. It's currently trading at a dollar fifty, mm. and I'm, I'm I'm gonna be the cold water guy, right? So you've done the, you've done the don't overthink, which I think is perfect. I'm gonna be the cold water guy, which is if that company is literally worth forty times the current price. Uh, based on something that management has said publicly, mm. then the market is saying either we're not paying attention, possible, or we don't believe you, possible, or we believe you'll try, but the road there is really, 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 really hard. Yeah. And I think that's worth just keeping those things in mind. So on one hand, I'm going to take your view. I'm to be devil's advocate for the sake of it now, but- I No, it's, not, the, it's not an opposing view to, to mine, mate. It's 100% because it would be a function of conviction. And I get your, your yes. point is how much conviction can you have for something at, at such an early stage, which has all the potential in the world, but a lot of obstacles to overcome. And remembering that management are promising the world because frankly, they almost certainly believe it. Some are frauds, but most believe it outright. So yeah, great. Yeah, I'm sure they do. But yeah. but <laughs> can they actually deliver on that? You know, every every biotech that has a potential cancer drug, every miner that wants to go and find the next big yeah. reserve, whatever, whatever. Um, you know, we're targeting this many sales. Well, targeting those sales are interesting, but are you going to even get close to that? I don't know. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not even saying that don't buy the shares or hold the shares. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't trim. I just think it's important to... If I asked a lot of ASX CEOs for their, their dream results five years hence, we want to be this big. Okay, cool. Uh, is it going to happen? Uh, how close are they going to get? What's that worth? Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff. Mm. You know, many a slip twixt the cup and the lip as they say in the old days uh, in I other words it. you've got the idea you, you know what you want to do but are you going to get there now maybe it's worth half maybe maybe your margin of safety at three or four times you still get to five dollars a share okay well a dollar forty there's still upside potential so great but just remember this is this is the you've talked regularly around about understanding the bear case better than the bears mm. I, I think it's i think the same is true of valuation outright not necessarily the bear case of the investment or the company results necessarily though that's important but add to that the bear case of the price you know again assuming this thing is actually reporting publicly this information and assuming it's available to anybody who wants to see it 
there are plenty, there's plenty of cashed up money out there. There are plenty of potential mm-hmm. buyers who would say, man, this thing's worth 50. I'm getting it for $1.40. I'm going to fill my, I'm going to take this thing over. Gina Reinhardt's been playing in lithium all over the place recently. You know, if she genuinely went, hey, this thing is just an absolute Monty. My God, they're telling us this publicly and it's going to happen and no one notices. And whether it's Gina or Twiggy or some private equity mob or something else, um, the market is just simply saying, we don't believe you. And when you pick stocks, you are disagreeing with the market. So I'm not saying listen to the market, only do what the market thinks because you'll only ever get the market result if you do that. But the extra bit, the, the kind of the, the piece in between those two is just remembering that the market is actually often right. And so, you know, if, if the market's telling you this is not worth the current price, then just be, or sorry, the, the value the management thinks, just be mindful that there probably are reasons for that. Don't just swallow the good news because you want to believe um, that, that, you know, this might happen. Again, it might. So I'm not saying it won't. I'm just saying just be really careful because the market's telling you this thing is a very, 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 very low probability outcome. Uh, just because you can put it in a DCF and say, if they did a billion dollars in profit in five years' time, it's worth this much. That's true. Uh, as I like to say, if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a bicycle. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the if, if thing, the, big, the biggest small word in the English language, as I like to say, uh, just, be, mm-hmm. just be a little bit careful about that as well. It's, it's such an excellent point. Like, I mean, that, by the way, it, is, it feels crazy when you do some of this analysis and you kind of go, yes. huh, $50 a share, it's a $1.40, what gives? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that can actually create another problem. Um, well, actually, I'll go back to my Pointera example because as it was mm-hmm. going to the moon, I was sitting there with a valuation on straw man that would be, I don't know, what, 20 cents, and here it is trading at 70 cents. And you feel... Am I that yeah. wrong? Is the market that wrong? <laughs> well, I guess they could have a bit more of a market share, and maybe that, maybe I've been too conservative on the margin, and yeah, maybe mm-hmm. I could do that. And you and you you, I don't think you consciously do it, but you definitely subconsciously you sort of curfit your valuation That's so to, true, mate. Yeah, especially when you want to keep point. it. You do, and it's it's really really tricky. And you, mm. but I, the point I was originally going to get it as is that is actually absolutely the upside potential. If, if, and if, right? That it, it's your point, and underscore that is the fact that there is such a discount, that there is a near, what is it, 30 to 40 bagger in plain sight, is that the market doesn't, I wouldn't say doesn't think it's going to happen, but understands the very significant risks between then, between now and that outcome. And that is something that I yeah, think you, yeah. you articulated well because just statistically, not this specific example, but statistically, mm-hmm. Most of these kinds of companies don't don't end up making it. Not because they're cheats, not because they're liars, not just because it's just really, really, really hard and a million things can go wrong with the best of intentions. So I, that, I'll just come back to my original point, which is this is why you have to be super honest with yourself with conviction. 25%, I, I'll be honest right now. I don't want to say what it is and it wasn't through design, but my largest position <laughs> is more than 25% of my portfolio right now. And so I'm going through the exact same thing. It's like, can I yeah, really? Yeah. I mean, come on, that is ridiculous. But I'm super high conviction on it, so it, it's a very real thing. But that I, I will—I am the kind of person who is pretty happy with a very solid weighting on something that is high conviction. But I'm certainly not blind to the, the risks. That is, there's very much a lot. There's a lot of eggs in that one basket, mm-hmm. and you—you—it's very exciting when things are going up, but things can change really rapidly on on the downside as well. So you, I think. You've just got to walk that fine line. <laughs> I wish I had. I wish I had a clear answer. I, I'm going to say one last thing, Matt, really quickly, because you made a great point about conviction, and I think, I think, the investment community writ large, not Matt, but the investment community writ large, overuses conviction. 
It's like yeah. when we say, if you've got a valuation, yeah, I did a DCF. I put some numbers in the spreadsheet and that's what came out. So I've now got a number. Or uh, have you got conviction? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. Because and, and I, I, like I like to say that conviction needs to be based in some sort of, some sort of objective reality. And, and, that's, and, and it should be by definition, but often for a lot of investors, it's not, right? The investor who wants to believe says, management says this is worth a billion dollars in a few years' time. Therefore, I'm going to use that number. And I would say, other than because you want it to be true, how much conviction do you have in management's ability to forecast that result? In other words, what have you done to prove out your thoughts in terms of that conviction? You know, can you really have conviction? Or do you go to the management saying, oh, we're going to try to do this? Is that, is that conviction? Can you have conviction? Now, if the manager's done it 15 times before, then probably, yeah. If it's a startup or a relatively young company or a loss-making company and manager's promising to do the X, Y, and Z, well, okay, uh, you know, it, 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 how much conviction can you genuinely have in that? Ram says tomorrow, Strawman's gonna be a billion-dollar business by Christmas. Now, we all know Ram, so of course we have high conviction in his view on that because he's a trustworthy, <laughs> sensible guy who's, you know- To very, the moon, baby. Running his business, to the moon. But, if I said, hey, I've started up a handbag company, I know nothing about handbags, but I'm gonna sell a billion of them by Christmas. And you do the maths and say, well, hang on, Scott's trying to sell a billion $5,000 handbags and they cost 25 cents each to make. So by Christmas, this should be a $100 stock. It, it's fair to say, I don't think you should have conviction just because I said it was a thing. And so I, I, I guess I just wanna make that last point because it's, mm. it, you know, conviction, it's easy to say I have conviction, I think if you could objectively, uh, you know, uh, substantiate that conviction, then you're much, much closer. Don't fall into the trap of wanting to believe and so convincing yourself you have conviction because you just want it to be true and management said something or a broker said something or if things go well, this could be this. Um, mm. it, it, it's, if is doing a lot of heavy lifting in all those sentences. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. And I, and I guess too, you, you can kind of have it a little bit each way. It's not as though the choice is 50% holding or 2% holding. That's you know, you yeah. can you can, And this is kind of where I've personally got to. I, I feel as though I'm getting to a point where it's like, maybe I'll just sell a little bit, but still maintain a very heavy holding. I don't think I'd actually, yeah. if I was to, the way I've often framed it before, which I think is a useful mental exercise is just to say, if I, if my entire portfolio was converted to cash right now, would I? What mm -hmm. would I buy? Would I buy the exact mm -hmm. same shares in the exact same way? And it's just like someone ma waved a magic wand, and there's no tax considerations. There's nothing. It's just, whoops, stockbroker made a mistake and liquidated everything. We can press a button and make it whole again, or <laughs> do you want to put it somewhere else? And mm -hmm. it shouldn't make any difference, but I think all of us would agree it would. Like, uh, you know, you just for whatever reason yeah. you do that. So I don't think I would go in with such a heavy weighting, but you know. That's a good point. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's, it's still, it's still a little bit of a way to have your cake and eat it too. Even if it continues to moon, right? And it goes up, and it goes up, and it goes up, and you've, you've, you've only sold down when you got to say a thirty percent weighting. You're still, you're still, you're still doing extraordinarily well, right? Not as well as you could have if you held every last um, uh, share, but yeah, yeah. It's a tough that one. Goes to the crux of that goes to the crux of his question. So I think it's, I think it's perfect. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. I don't know what shilling you've been doing on straw man to get people to send questions saying nice things about you, but I don't appreciate it. And uh, it, oh, it's love it. Bring it on. <laughs> what do we got? Greetings, Scott and Ram. I found Ram's simple analysis on Domino's a few weeks back very useful in trying to value the future growth of a company into today's share price. 
He used assumptions of five-year time horizon, 15% EPS growth, 10% expected return, and a 25 PE ratio. It basically determined the share price on the day was higher than the value he calculated, so he implied that he would wait for a better entry point. I put this to the test on some of my current holdings like Domino's, LaVisa, CSL, and also to some I'm interested in buying at some point, like Technology One, ARB, and Macquarie. Man, that's a great a list of plus, companies, by the way. It's good, isn't it? Looking at a 10-plus year investing horizon, which I also really appreciate. My yeah. question is, in applying Ram's theory, I also included a margin of safety of between 20 and 30% on top of the analysis. So is yep. it correct to do this, or do you just tweak the assumptions based on more specific company and or industry averages? I don't want to overanalyze it, but I'd appreciate your thoughts and tips if Ram could, as he always does, quote, square that circle, end quote, for me. <laughs> I have to say, I've listened to a lot of investing podcasts over the years, and that was the simplest, most practical example I've heard to analyze a company's growth prospects using some simple assumptions. So I appreciate all that you do for us, quotes, retail investors, end quote. <laughs> Regards, Anthony. Well, Anthony Page, thank you for writing in. It's very nice of you to uh, give, give Uncle Andrew a, a, a bit of a wrap there. No, <laughs> Thanks, Anthony. Mate, yeah. it, it, it was and always is a, a great summary, mate. You've done a fantastic job and our listeners are absolutely spot on to, uh, to give you a wrap for it, mate. So well done. Um, margin of my safety. head gets super big. <laughs> How do you apply a margin of safety when doing this sort of DCF, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to I'm going to embellish Anthony's question because yep. you can do not enough and everything looks cheap. You can do yes. too much and buy nothing because well, I want an eighty percent margin of safety. Well, you're never going to buy anything, yep. uh, or you say, well, I want a margin of safety on margins, and I want a margin of safety on sales growth, and I want a margin of safety on valuation, I want a margin of safety on discount rate. Uh, you, you can layer these things so that you know Berkshire at twenty dollars isn't worth buying. Uh, mm. Because you've convinced yourself it's only worth ten if you assume that all these things. Yep. So how, how do you how do you think about margin of safety when it comes to your DCF work, mate? Uh, first, first of all, thanks for the really kind words. But also, margin of safety. What Ben Graham has said: the three most important words in investing. And I think it's I think it's pretty pretty much up there. Um, you just can't. They're all guesses, right? So you you you. And the other thing is any of these models, whatever model you want to use, is very sensitive. So, you know, you and I could get into a big debate as to whether we should use a discount rate of 12% or 9%. Yeah. Is it really that we big get, a we difference? Get, we get remarkable yeah, have, outcomes on that. We would get very different outcomes though, right? Like, yeah. And, and yeah. then and then we might have a slight difference on uh, your point on, on net profit margin or other little mm. things. It mm. seems like it, I, I, you would look at it ordinarily and go, oh, these guys are basically in the same ballpark with all their assumptions. And yet you think it's worth $21.83.6 and I think it's worth $85, you know, and it's mm. sort of, well, who's who's right? <laughs> so it's, I mean, this is the crux of where, where Anthony's coming from, right? Like it really I, I yeah. get it. It's, it's tricky. So, I mean, there's no, again, there's no right answer as long as you've got some kind of margin of safety in there. I tend to do it the way, I'm not sure if I mentioned this when we were talking about the, the particular example, but one way I try to sort of mitigate it is to do a spread of valuations rather than just one. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be super complicated. I Man, I just have my, here's the best case scenario. Like in, as far as, as, as much as I can imagine within the, bell, the, the realm of possibilities, 
this is like, you know, the best profit growth they'll get. This is the best multiple that the market will trade at. And I only want a 9% return per annum because I'm so high conviction in it or whatever it is. And like, what, what number does that give me? It might be my sort of silly valuation, but it, it gives me some kind of ceiling as to what, what might be plausible. Then my best mm. case and then my worst case, like actually all of these assumptions, I mean, I don't think anyone thinks Domino's is going out of business tomorrow, but I can put some pessimistic numbers in there, right? I can say, well, earnings drop in half and they stay there for three years and this happens and that happens. And what, what does that number kind of look like? So that, that, and then don't apply any sort of margin of safety, just use your best guesses. And then you would sort of say the share price itself offers a margin of safety if that even the more bearish assumptions aren't, aren't miles away. Um, yeah. the, so the valuation using your most bearish assumptions still doesn't, does, doesn't look too bad in the context of, of the current share price. In other words, maybe you could get something similar to that. Does that make sense? In, in which case you think, okay, that's that's pretty good. Uh, alternatively, you don't even have to change what growth rates or anything you're assuming. But as I said before, just just the discount rate. And I tend to do this a bit for something that is a bit spicier, a bit earlier stage. Do I re would I really? I mean, why am I valuing this thing basing it on a ten percent discount rate? Is that is that my idea of success? I take all of this risk in an early stage company. And it delivers on my, my <laughs> expectations of earnings growth and multiple and the rest of it. And I get a 10% return per annum. I can probably get that with an ETF. So I think mm. in those kinds of cases, it's not unreasonable to sort of say, well, maybe I want 12, 13, 15% even. Um, I mean, can I unpack I want, that? Because yeah. I, think, I think it's really important because I don't, I, I was going to say up, up until we finish that comment, I don't use different discount rates because I don't believe in it conceptually as a different discount rate. But what you've done, and I think it's a really, really good idea and really thoughtful way to do it is it's not really a discount rate in the traditional way that you do a weighted average cost of capital, blah, blah, blah. You insert, instead of, instead of a, a weighted average cost of capital or you know, risk-free rate plus an equity risk premium, all, all the usual jargon, you've used that to basically make that your hurdle rate. And you've said, yeah, what do I, want? I want this sort of return. So to get that sort of return, I'm going to have to pay this price. And I think that's a really, really, really smart way to use discount rates. So, because I, I never change the discount rate on the basis of risk adjustment of anything, but when right. you start to think about actually, as you say, I can get, I, I can buy Woolies get a ten percent return. Why yep. would I buy, you know, uh, Phillips's handbags and get a get a get a ten percent return, given that the, every possibility is not going to go well? I would yep. like a higher return. In other words, I need a cheaper price to allow for that that amount of risk. And I think that is what you've you've explained it beautifully. It's a really, really nice thing. I hope our listeners take away. I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that, actually, because it is worth emphasizing when you, and I mean, I think we've both been on this path, we, you, you first get into this and they do give these highly technical descriptions of what discount rate is appropriate. And you do have things like mm. the risk-free mm. rate of return. And by the way, this is why we always, you and I talk about interest rates nonstop every Friday, right? Because it matters <laughs> and it matters for sort of uh, when people are calculating discount rates and how they look at the valuations of shares and mm. bonds and, and every, every financial asset in the world. So it's sort of massively important, but it is at the same time a mugs game because I have no idea what the interest rate's going to be next you know, month, let alone what's going to be you know, five years hence. And, and also what kind of, what, what size risk premium does, does Mr. Market want in the year 2026? I don't know, maybe not much, well, maybe a hell of a lot. So it's just, yeah, I've always, I long ago just thought, well, I don't really care what the technical version is. Given the risk that I feel as though I'm taking, what's an adequate return for me? And, and the way that the maths works, because I am, I'm really just, I'm forecasting a price in the future and then saying, well, to get from today to there and the desired return, um, you know, what, what uh, how does the math kind of 
work out and and it, yeah. it needs to work out but if i'm buying a pre-profit small cap <laughs> well it needs to be more than it does if it's buying csl or something like that right right to make to, to allow for that, that uncertainty yeah but again again you know you will find this is the great thing about spreadsheets are the greatest invention ever I, i'm i'm a i'm an uh you know unashamed nerd when it comes to them but the fact that i i can actually set everything up and then just change the variables and everything recalculates <laughs> yeah. is so cool so yeah. just build a cool. really basic you know just put put a few formulas into some cells and then just change it well what's the discount rate look like at 11 and a half percent 12 percent and again test a variety of different things you'll get a skew going out into the future and things will get really the range will be really wide but you just know that you've got well you don't know but you I certainly feel better about myself when I do these exercises and the share price is currently towards the lower end of all that range. In other words, if if my wildest dreams come true, I'm going to make a fortune. If mm. if it goes as expected, I'm going to get an above market average return. If it doesn't go quite as good as I want, there's probably not too much downside from here. Like that's that's it. And I just I know I repeat myself on that that kind of idea, but that's No, it's important. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do. And I'll do it over and over and over and over and over again until, in fact, knowing that a bunch of it's not going to work out, but the mass tends to work out when you when you roll the dice enough, provided they're loaded dice. And they will be loaded if, if you skew things in that manner where the market is giving you a price that 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 accounting for all this, this uncertainty in the future at least positions you in a good spot to benefit really nicely if things go well, but to avoid the worst of it if, if things don't go exactly to plan. As Katniss would say, mate, may the odds be forever in your favor. Exactly. Hey, let's finish with a philosophical question, Ram. This one's from Juan yeah. who says, hi, Andrew and Scott, brackets in alphabetical order. Uh, nice. I'll have you know that uh, I don't appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the amazing job that you two do with the rants, deep, deep tangents and rabbit holes and educating us a little more every day. You should be pleased to know that by doing that and us doing the same with our families, you are cultivating prosperity for future Australia. So not a small thing. That's very kind of one. Thank I'll you take very much. That. He says, I'm one of the lucky ones that has had questions answered on the podcast before, but that time they were more the tactical type. This time I'm aiming for more of a debate, oh dear, and one, I think, deep philosophical one. So here's the two questions, Rand. I think the first nervous. a little bit shorter, I know. In answering another listener's question recently, you were talking about what could threaten heavyweights like the fangs. So that's Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Well, you make a good point that any resemblance of competition, they would just buy it out. In my mind, there is one big threat, governments. Wouldn't an anti-monopoly policy like the ones that have been explored in the past already, be a big threat to these companies. I'll jump this one first, mate, because I've made you go first. Um, yeah, please. One, two things. Uh, most of the purchases will be done while these companies are small enough not to attract uh, competition. Watchdogs. Um, you know, if Microsoft bought Amazon, there'd be some issues. Uh, if Amazon buys a little online shop that's doing something or a bit of technology that does a particular thing, they're less likely to attract the ire of, of competition czars, but it's absolutely possible. Second thing I would say though, is in the case in the past where things have been broken up, the most famous example is AT&T, the telecom company in the US, was broken up in the early 1980s. Uh, the, the, the combined value of all the broken up bits went on to be extraordinarily large. Mm. Uh, and so I don't think you, as a shareholder, if, if, if they are broken up at some future point, 
uh, there's a decent chance you actually stand to do as well or better uh, having having those broken up eventually uh, than the businesses that they own currently uh, in in a holistic level. So I'm not worried about either. How about you, Rem? Yeah, not in the slightest. I mean, this this is um, speaking of uh, philosophy. I, I have a pretty sort of pessimistic, cynical philosophy when it comes to these kinds of things, and that's because. Big companies that are, if you're at the stage where you've got like antitrust regulation looking over your shoulder, you're big and powerful mm. enough and can afford the best lobbyists. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I, mean, I am so depressed saying that sentence. Yeah. I, would, yeah. I would love to have the world a different way and I don't endorse yeah. it. In fact, I'm very much against it. It sickens me to my core. But I mean, mm. look at Microsoft. It's one of the biggest companies in the world. They had all that antitrust uh, stuff yeah, that just right. a- ancient history. You know, you. you Internet Explorer. I imagine. <laughs> Imagine yes, a regulator saying, "Michael, you can't use it." So, who uses Internet Explorer anymore? But at yeah. the time, it was it was seen as a big deal, and, and they've gone oh, huge. Better things. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure it had an impact on the share price at the time. Yeah. Like, I'm sure it yeah. was a it was a big deal in 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 markets. But I think when you step back from it, it's just sort of like again, you you ask yourself, you, you don't say this is what I think is going to happen. You say, well, what could happen? What does that look like if that happens? And what it That's looks like if it happens is you'll get, well, a little bit of a slap on the wrist. They'll change the rules a little bit. You'll pay a fine <laughs> and, you, and you'll go on making squillions of dollars. That's what's probably going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And again, that's that's super depressing, but it's, yeah, th- these kinds of things don't don't keep me. I mean, that as a risk when I look at some of these businesses yes. don't don't worry me too much. I think that's it. I think actually that's the point. Is it, is it a risk? Yes. Uh, yes. Do I feel like I would invest in them anyway? Yes. At least some. I own I own shares in Amazon. I own shares in Alphabet, which owns Google. So for full disclosure, while we're there, uh, mate. Yeah. <laughs> one goes on. Brace, brace, brace. This is when you should get nervous. Here is the philosophical observation, and it is around your many many conversations around the concept of money. Uh-oh. I would just like to throw a couple of spanners in the works: God and nations. If you would rather refrain from making any comments about God, that is fine. But wouldn't you agree that nations, he says in brackets, and gods are like money in the sense they are simply ideas accepted by enough people to make things work? How crazy is the concept of the Australian economy when both Australia and money are just made up ideas? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you, as always, from a fan that listens to your pod at one time speed. The only pod I cannot fast track while actually running in the morning. That's for Juan. I love that question. Thank you. It's a really nice one. And I'm glad you get some value out of it while you're running. Uh, just don't uh, run off the road. Um, what do you reckon, mate? Uh, how, how, I mean, we've talked about these sorts of things before. How, how crazy is it uh, having an Australian economy when both Australia and the economy are just figments of our collective imaginations? Yeah, I mean, actually, I, I, I 100% agree. I mean, it's all made up. This, this was the thesis behind Sapiens, which I really enjoyed. It's a few years old now. Uh, who was it? Harari, uh, um, Israeli author, an academic, wrote this book. Anyway, it's, it's fantastic. And, and, and there are things like our political structures, our laws, um, uh, money. There's all just a shared narrative. I mean, it doesn't mean anything to anyone except those that choose to believe in it. So, I mean, it makes it it makes it sound. Oh, therefore, it's not important. It's like, well, no. It's just it's it's actually super important to the to the ape species that happens to use it <laughs> as a tool. And and so, yeah, I I I think I can agree with that as a statement, saying yeah, it's all made up. But then, you know, so is the Bill of Rights. So so mm-hmm. so many fun human rights, right? 
Like, uh, I, right. I, human rights don't exist, okay? Yep. Um, by the way, I'm a big staunch believer in this thing, even though it's a made-up thing and some people got together and we sort of over the years we've got this idea of what it means to be a human. But there's, there's no tangible objective reality of what what that means or the rule of law mm. or any other kinds of things. So I, I have a foot firmly and happily in both camps and read Sapiens <laughs> and I'll exp he'll explain it much better than me. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's all made up, but, yeah, it's massively important. Yeah, I think um, I think it's a frame of reference thing. I think I, I completely agree with you, mate. I think, firstly, as you say, it is the thing that separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom. Uh, yeah. Not from animals, we are animals, but we're just a, we're just a particularly evolved type of animal. We'd be in small tribes, use, right? Without and these and shared those, narratives, and, yeah. Well, even those small tribes require those narratives, mate, because they even yes, that's true. That's loyalty true. or love or trust or I mean, the, any anything that is interpersonal. Yeah, is literally made up. I mean, what what is loyalty? What is trust? What is love? What is fear? What is envy? What is th these things are all, you know, emotional constructs that we either restrain or don't restrain. That we either yeah. combine or and coordinate or we don't. Um, that's that's kind of how they work. It, it, you know, you, you trust your partner not to be unfaithful. What's faithfulness? What is what is trust? What is monogamy? Uh, I, again, we can you know. You, you did say it was going to get philosophical, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. We're talking about so yeah. we have fifteen thousand drinks, and you know, talk about is the bar all night. But uh, yeah. given it's eight o'clock in the morning, we shouldn't. Um, yeah. But you know, it's 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 that kind of idea, and I think I think it's I think it's a perfectly good question, and I think, but I think it's it's. You've kind of alluded to this matter. Maybe you've even just said it outright. But I think what I'd say to Juan from from that perspective is, it's not the bug; it's the feature. You know, yes, it's, it's the thing that animates us as a species. And I think you can absolutely say it's crazy. I would actually say on the same thing, and this is befitting my personality. I think it's wonderful. I think it's incredible. I think it's amazing. I think it's astonishing, um, and crazy. But yeah. I think the positive of it is. Is it crazy? Yes. But if it was too crazy, then we wouldn't have got this far because we would have blown ourselves up literally literally or metaphorically at some, yeah. at some previous point um, because of exactly that. And I yep. think we still run the risk of that, right? Because we are reliant on shared norms and values. As you said, mate, Bill of Rights, laws, yep. uh, you know, um, there are police forces, but most of us just accept that driving on the left-hand side of the road is probably a good idea in Australia because... If we don't, we're probably going to die and probably kill someone else. Yep. So that's crazy. You, dri driving down the road, driving down the road in peak hour on a, on a six-lane freeway and, and, and assuming or hoping that no one's going to come the other way on your lane, that's, I mean, you know, that, that's yes. crazy. That's mad. Yeah. That is yeah, absolutely right. madness, right? Yeah. Um, but we do- there's nothing, to stop, right there's nothing to stop you to doing that though, right? Is there? You could, someone could just literally. be driving. Yeah. Yeah. You just, 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 why, why, why wouldn't you? Because- you know, laws are made up and, and well, you know, uh, go on. Well, I, I, I was, uh, that's a lovely tee up because that's exactly why it's sort of all crazy, but still not, well, A, very useful. It's not useless at all, but it's also practical, I think, as an investor. When you're looking at a lot of these things, what you tend to find is that they've, they have utility and they tend to have more utility the more people that use them. A great example mm. would be English. This weird- right. I think it was a Nordic kind of splinter language that, you know, <laughs> spoke by like 10,000 people, you know, a few thousand years ago. And now it's the global language of, of Earth. You've got that, you've got Spanish, Chinese, and there's a whole range of tens of thousands of languages that we'll never know and have been mm -hmm. lost. Because English is useless if no one speaks it. 
And it's really yeah. useful if everyone speaks it. So that's why I'm always crapping on about network effects. Like it, it's it's the all it's it's the network effect. This is why the US everyone uses the US dollar at this point, and why <laughs> Russia and China are saying we want out and can't get out because the yeah. network effect is is massive. Again, are they stories? Yeah. Could we have a better one? Yeah. Sure. Let's all speak Esperanto. It's much easier language <laughs> to learn, and was was created by linguists in the seventies. You know, it's like let's, let's, why don't we do that? Because there's no network effect. There's no there's there's too much of a barrier to get over so you can sort of look at these things and recognize them for what they are (laughs) i.e shared narratives but they are the bedrock of of civilization and you know good luck trying to change some of these no they do they do obviously change over history uh gradually and then suddenly as as they say Mm -hmm. but and uh, you know that isn't a, a platform to launch into Bitcoin, although is it? I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it's definitely not. But thank you. <laughs> but, but yeah. Anyway, that, 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 that's my that's that's my my two cents. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's right, mate. I think um, I think that's Ooh, I think it's one hundred percent spot on. I, I I don't know that we need to do anything meaningfully different with that. I think I think it's worth recognizing, as you made the point before, there are no inherent cast iron laws or rules accordingly. Because we can change our belief systems, we can change the interactions, we can change the interplay of all these things. And I think that's worth that's worth calling out really loud and really clear, right? Which is, this is not a guarantee. This is not something that we can assume won't ever be a problem again. But in that context, uh, we can also say that the the power of the shared narrative, the power of that coordination is the superpower. I and mean, that's that's where it comes yes. from. Your point about yes. Trento is a great one, right? Because... Yeah. And, and here's the, I'm not getting into Bitcoin either, but one of the things worth thinking about is it's, it's the better mousetrap thing or the build it and they will come thing. Yeah. I built a better mousetrap. Why did no one buy it? Because they just weren't convinced it was a better mousetrap or they didn't want to yeah. pay for a better mousetrap or they didn't know they wanted a better mousetrap. Don't, I guess my, my, my kind of corollary at one point is don't be too rational. We talked about on Friday, we talked about cults and brands and stuff. Um, I don't know, I love Coke. I'm not entirely sure there is a rational basis to pay 40% more for Coke than Pepsi or whatever the margin is these days. I mean, I, th- I think I like it. I tell myself it's worthwhile. Is it really worthwhile? Should I pay $4,000 for a handbag? Of course not. I mean, it's ridiculous. Fashion. It's rid- the whole thing is ridiculous. Mm. Absolutely 100% ridiculous, except people do. And mm. so as an investor, take it back to investing as we finish off, I think the challenge is to see the world as it is because... I've had people who say, I wouldn't buy company X because I don't use its products. Mm. I'm like, well, mate, millions of people do. So yeah. maybe you're right. Maybe you're on the forum. Maybe these people are going to stop using the product eventually. Maybe, sure. But maybe it's a taste thing. And, and again, mm. meeting the world where it is, is that idea of people use, like, do these things. You may consider it irrational, but as an investor, your only job is to say, will they continue to do those things? And if they will, then there's your prize. If they won't, that's cool too. So you know to avoid them, but that's the that's the process. Not should it rationally be true that we all speak English rather than Esperanto? I don't know, but it's not going to change anytime soon. So I can buy Esperanto shares. That'd be a bit crazy. And I could buy them because I'd said it's obviously a better language. Therefore, I'm going to buy shares. If no one else agrees with you, your point about network effects, mate, or other competitive advantages. If no one else agrees with you, or not enough people agree with you, then you're not going to get across the line. Nice. Yep, I agree. All right, mate, I think we're probably done for this podcast. Thank you for joining me this Sunday, mate, after your free diving, mountain climbing, hang gliding, abseiling. Well, when you, when you get up at 2 a.m., man, you've got, you've, got a lot of, you've got a lot of hours, you know, to fit all that in. So happy, happy to be here. 
Someone's got to do it. Until next Friday, join us then, but fool on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.